This program is made possible by the friends and partners of Unspeakable Joy. I want you to look in the book of Psalm 126, and I'm going to read to you all six verses. I normally don't do that, but I'm going to give you just this little synopsis, and then this verse in verse number uh, 2 and 3 are really grabbing a hold of me. I want you to look in Psalm 126, verse number 1. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Brothers and sisters, if you notice at the top of that psalm, it says Psalm 126, a song of degrees. Your Bible either says one of two things there at Psalm 126. It either says a psalm of degrees or a song of ascents. You see, what these psalms were, beginning in Psalm 120, is these were the psalms that the children of Israel would sing as they made their way three times a year to the temple. Three times a year, every male over the age of 12 years old was commanded to go up to Jerusalem and to worship there in Jerusalem at the different feasts, the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles at the end of the year. And as they would get down to the southern steps of the temple, they would begin quoting Psalm 120, and then they would take a step, and then they would do Psalm 121, and then they would take another step, and they would get to Psalm 122, and so on and so forth. They would go every time in your book, in the book of Psalms, you see the Song of Degrees or the Psalm of Ascents. That's what they would sing as they were going up the stairs there in Jerusalem. Now, you come to Psalm 126, and there are three ways that you look at this psalm, and you'll write them down. This will help you whenever you read it. The first way that you can look at this, there's what we call the national view. You see, the national view is the view of this psalm that people would read because it is what they sang two times in their national history. The first time, whenever they came out of Egyptian bondage in the book of Exodus, and they would sing this as they left Egypt. Now think about it, the children of Israel, as they leave Egypt singing this psalm, as they're wandering through the desert, this is what they would have said. The Lord turned again our captivity. We were like them that did dream. They said we can't even believe that this is our reality, that we're no more in chains and in bondage. We're no more in the, the dread sway of Pharaoh's hand. We just feel like we're in just a dream. We cannot believe that the Lord has turned again our captivity. There was another time that they sang this song when they went down into the 
Babylonian captivity. And after 70 years, they were delivered from the Babylonian captivity. And you can imagine what they sang. Look at verse number 6. He says, He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing his seed, shall doubtless come again. Now, whenever they left Jerusalem under the Babylonian captivity, they went out weeping. And they said, Oh God, if you'll ever bring us back into this land again, if you'll ever touch us again, we won't do what we did the last time. Seventy years later, honey, they were marching back in and they were saying, God, we went out and we were weeping and we were crying, but honey, we're coming again and we're bringing our sheaves and we're bringing our cattle and we're bringing everything that we planted back in Babylonian's land. You see, the way that you look at that is the national view. The second way you look at that is what we call the spiritual view. The spiritual view, what is that? The spiritual view is whenever somebody who is lost gets found. Somebody that's unredeemed gets redeemed. Now I want you to think about it like this. As a child of God, think about getting saved saying this. When the Lord turned again my captivity, I'm like them that did dream. You remember what it was like when you were on your way to hell and you were on your way to eternal damnation and that day you got saved, you absolutely came down to an altar in your seat or in your car, wherever it was you got saved. You had so much joy in your heart, you could not even believe that it was real what you were dealing with right now. No more guilt and no more torment and no more fear and no more anxiety. And if you're here today at Temple Baptist Church, and you've never been saved, let me take it from some. Take it from somebody who has not been around them deadbeat Baptists long. Remember what I'm saying. It is wonderful being saved. It is sweet being in the family of God. It is joyful knowing that I'm heaven bound with the hammer down and I couldn't go to hell even if I wanted to. Don't you let somebody that's dead and dried up and is so bitter in their heart discourage you from being saved and discouraging you from walking with God. Do not worry about those people that have got nothing but sad reports. Honey, lift your eyes up to the heavens and taste and see that the Lord, He is good. There's, the, there's what we call the spiritual view. The third view is for what I want to talk to the people of God about today. There's what I call the applicational view. The applicational view, it's where those of you that have been born again are going to have to apply it to your life. How many of you are unashamed of the fact with an uplifted hand, you would say, Tyler, I know I'm saved by the grace of Jesus. Well, then this is for you today. Now, I want you to imagine what it's like being a Christian, being under a burden to do something for God. And you're in these chains wondering, God, is this your will? God, is this what you want me to do? And you say, Lord, I feel like I'm in captivity. I feel like I'm in chains. Lord, I hate where I'm at right now. And when God finally works it out for your good and he turns your captivity, you look up and you say, Lord, I'm like them that did dream. Do you remember what it was like when God began to burden your life over that thing? You could not believe that you were the one God wanted to do it. 
and you had this joy in your heart. There are people in this building right now from a, a, a brother to brother, a brother to sister view. There are people in this room right now that are battling with the will of God. And you are wondering, what do I do? God sent a messenger from Democrat-controlled Guilford County to let you know that he has heard your prayer and he has got a word for you and he's wanting you to do what he's called you to do. I'll give you four things because I want you to notice something and I want to hone you in here on verse number four. He says, turn our captivity as streams in the south. He said, Lord, when you're trying to get us to go in a direction, that direction is like streams in the south. Have you ever processed what it would mean when God would say, what I'm asking you to do, when I do it, it's going to be like streams in the south. Can I ask you a question? Don't look at me like a, like, like a Stokes County or Surrey County or whatever county you're from. Don't look at me like I'm just making stuff up. Have you ever had a burden from God and you tried to explain it to other people only to have them look at you like you're crazy? You try to explain it to somebody and they ask you questions and you say, well, I don't really know the answer to that. Well, I, I really, I don't know how that's going to happen. I'm not 100% sure how that's going to be accomplished. But I just know it's what God is wanting me to do. Can I give you an illustration? Ten years, same church, love the people, love the place, love everything about it. I walk in one day, look at my wife in the eyeballs, and I say, Honey, I just want to tell you something. You're not going to like it, and you're probably not going to agree with it. But God is done with us. It's time to go. I, I don't know what your spouse is like, but men, my spouse enjoyed the stability of knowing she could buy a cheeseburger if she wanted it. Tyler, what are we going to do about this? I don't really know. Tyler, how are we going to operate over there? I don't really know. And you know, even at this moment, I still don't know. But when God does it, it's like streams in the south. I want to help you with something. If you can explain it, it probably is not from God. If you can tell how it's going to come to pass, it's probably not from God. If it's something that you've got all the answers to, it probably isn't from God. Why? Because whenever God speaks to his servants to accomplish his will, he does not give them the plan. He gives them the burden. He looked at Moses and he said, go down yonder and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. God, I don't have an audience for Pharaoh. I can't talk right. I can't do right. I have no idea. He said, what do you have in your hand, Moses. He said, I've got a staff. What are you going to do with this staff? He said, throw that staff down. And it became a serpent. Moses had no idea how to accomplish the plan of God, and you don't either. God never asked you to figure it out. He asked you to walk by faith. And when God does it, it will be like streams in the south. So we've got to understand these streams in the south. And what they are. What are streams in the south? Well, whenever this is being written, they are writing it probably from the region of Jerusalem. And from Jerusalem straight south is what is called the Judean wilderness. 
and there were these little streams that were coming down. How many rednecks know there's a difference between a river and a creek? A river has been there a long time, and it's wide and it's deep. A creek is smaller than a river, but it's been there a long time, but it's not very wide and it's not very deep. But there is something even smaller than a river and a creek, and you know what it's called? A stream. Do you know what a real stream is? A real stream is that which appears and then disappears. He says, whenever I do my will with you and I turn that captivity, it will be like streams in the south. I'll give you four things about those streams in the south. Number one, those streams in the south, they appear supernaturally. They appear supernaturally. What does that mean? Well, down in the desert, when the psalmist is writing about this, he's talking about those things that appear down in the Dead Sea region, the lowest place on earth. You see, that's where you and I are. We are in the lowest region of eternity. You and I can't get any lower. When Jesus came our way, we were down as far as we could go down. But do you know how those streams appear? It's when water from a high place flows down to a low place. And honey, if you've ever been saved by the grace of God, it was not because you went to where God was. It was because the good God of heaven came down to where you were. A high thing came down to a low thing. Whenever God is burdening your heart over something, it usually starts with God and comes to you. Unfortunately, too many of our burdens start with us. And we try to convince God of it. I am 37 years old. I will be 38 on my birthday, November the 13th. I am not an old codger. But this ain't my first rodeo. Do you know what I'm finding out about the burdens that God gives me versus the burdens I try to give God? The things that God wants me to do versus the things I want to do? Can I give it to you? Normally, if it's from God, he has to convince me. It's not something I desire. In Why? Because water is not natural to the desert. It's got to come from up there and get down low. If you are trying to convince God of something, it's probably because God doesn't want you to do that. But if God keeps putting that on you and you keep thinking about that and you keep coming up with a thousand reasons why you don't want to do it, it's probably something that God wants to do the supernatural through. It flows from on high. And it goes down. I can tell y'all are eating that point up, so let me just back this Massey Ferguson up and keep hitting that stump. Too many times we look at the supernatural, and because there is no natural way to bring it to pass, we dismiss it as crazy and wild. But may I remind you that supernatural things are not accomplished with our ability, and it is not accomplished because somebody had a normal idea. It is when a normal person grabs hold of a supernatural God and says, no matter what, this is what God desires to be done. Where are the people that see the unbelievable as possible when the impossible is sown in their hearts. 
Look at what we try to accomplish in our power. And look at what the generation behind us accomplished with God's power. How many of you were here in this building when it was built? Slip it up. I want to say, how many of you were here when this building was built? I did not know Teague Gross. I heard about him. I was just a kid when he was really in his thundering pyre. But the stories of how this building was built. Y'all didn't have the money to build this building. Y'all didn't have the authority to build this building. You didn't have the wherewithal to build this building. What happened? Somebody grabbed hold of the supernatural power of a thrice holy God and said, Lord, I may not have power. I may not have ability. I may not have strength. I may not have money. I may not have financing, but I've got you. And if I've got you and this is your burden, my God, it will come out like streams in the south. Can I ask you a question this morning? Just me and you talking? What is that thing that is so deep down here that the devil has told you cannot happen and you have backed up on it? Brothers and sisters, when God does it, it will come as a stream in the south. The second thing about those streams in the south is they aren't just supernatural, but they are seasonal. You see, those streams in the south... They don't appear year-round. You see, it's got to be the wet season up in Jerusalem in order for those streams to appear down in the desert. You can go down to the same place twice. And if you're there in the right season, you're liable to get swept away. But if you go in the dry season, you're liable to stand there and get a sunburn. Can I tell you what that lesson is? You work on God's timing. God doesn't work on your timing. When God is burdening you to do something, you better do it when God tells you to do it because the time may pass. Remember this line and never forget it. God is not concerned about time, but God is very concerned about timing. God doesn't care anything about your watch. God has got a window whereby he is working through. And God is moving and God is operating. And if you don't operate when God tells you to do it, it ain't going to work. There are people in this room right now, you have put off God and put off God and put off God and keep saying, Lord, when this works out, then I'll do it. When this happens, then I'll do it. When that occurs, then I'll do it. When this comes down, then I'll give that amount. When this happens, Lord, when I sell this and when I sell that, and you keep putting God off and putting God off, what if God is waiting on you to make the move in order to let the cascade fall? Why? Because the streams in the south are seasonal. Brothers and sisters, listen to me now. God has heard your prayer. Now quit whining and give God time to work. Do not worry about the watch. Worry about watching. Do not worry about the hands on the watch, on the time. You pay attention to God and God will bring it to pass in His time. Can I tell you all a story? Y'all think I make up most of my stories anyway, but this one's true. I ain't lying to you. I've been married. I've been married one time to the same girl. We've been married for 15 years. We have never one time thought about divorcing. We have thought about murder, but we have never one time thought about divorcing. 
Now, I'm going to confess something. I tried everything in my power. I Listen, I have only wanted to do one thing since God called me to preach. I didn't want to sell insurance. I didn't want to go do dump trucks. I wasn't trying to be a police officer, a firefighter. Ain't nothing wrong with those things. But when God called me to preach, God called me to preach. And I've had my eyes on one thing. I wanted to preach. I wasn't interested in no woman that was going to pull me to the left, be worried about money on the right. If she wanted to have a Louis Vuitton, she could go get it herself. I had one thing on my mind. I wanted to preach. So I had my eyes set. I knew I wasn't going to be able to preach unless I married the right girl. So, I listen, I didn't waste no time. I got to hunting quick. And I took out every girl that said she was saved. Now, I never acted sinful with them, but I could tell within the first two minutes of that date at the Sagebrush Steakhouse whether it was going to go somewhere or not. And nine times out of ten, I normally had them meet me at the Exxon gas station. That way, if the date didn't go good, I could pretend I needed gas and just say, well, hey, look, since your car's here, why don't you just go and go home? Well, I, ain't, I didn't say I was the smartest, but I ain't stupid. For four years, I looked. And I kept telling God, God, you're wasting time. 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 You keep wasting time, God. God, I need you to turn this. I need you to turn this. And I had finally just, I, I was done with the whole thing. I'd waited for four years. Isn't four years long enough to wait on God? Some of you keep having that conversation with God. God, haven't I waited long enough? One day, I was pulling in to the, the parking lot of the Piedmont Baptist College. And I was coming out to my car because I'm always early. And I went out to my car to get my books because I left my books in the car. And I went back in. And right about the time that I walked out to that parking lot, man, there was this blue flash this Mazda 3, it looked like a dart flying in. It had smoke coming off of the tires and off of the brakes. We had rounded that curve on the Broad Street exit at Business 40. And this, this car comes whirling into the parking lot. She peels in, almost ran me flat slap over, and she peels in. She gets out. She's got on high heels, and she's running five minutes late. And she goes clankety-clanking into that, that, that school. And I thought, whoa. The next day, I was going to make sure I saw that girl. I sat downstairs on the air conditioner. They had them old radiator air conditioning heating units on the side of the wall. You know what I'm talking about? And I sat there. Boys, I was looking slick. Man, I was slick as snot. Let me tell you, I had on my docker pants with pleats right there in the, in the front. I had on my belt, two-tone belt. I had gone and got my Sperry Top Shotter's uh, shoes polished up. And I sat there with my the only polo shirt I could afford to buy. I got it at the Goodwill. And I was sitting there. And I, uh, listen, I look like an episode of 90210 what I look like. Some of y'all have no idea what that is. I sat there on this, and I was waiting. I got there 15 minutes early. You know what I've learned in 15 years of marriage? You can be ready 30 minutes early, 15 minutes early. She's going to be two minutes late. And I sat there. And she came about five minutes late. And I heard them heels clicking down the, the tile floor. And the moment I saw her, I knew. Her, my mother-in-law's here today. She'll tell you the first time she saw me, she knew this was the guy. She, now, listen, 
I ain't never done anything slow. I don't have time to waste. We started dating in May, April, May. No, we started dating in May. We got engaged in September, got married the next January, had our baby within a year and a half. I ain't interested in wasting no time. Now, hear me. One night I was sitting there with Mason Curtis. He was, he was screaming. The boy didn't sleep at night. And it was all I could do to keep from just absolutely just putting my hand over his mouth and just for 15 seconds, please be quiet. And I realized something. I'd waited all that time. And in a moment, God had turned it around. I'd been with her less time than I'd been apart from her. But I felt like I'd been with her my whole life. Brothers and sisters, hear me now. Do not worry about trying to bring the will of God to pass in your life. Focus your life on being in the right place. And tell God, Lord, let me be in the right place at the right time to accomplish your plan in my life. Because one day, you'll hear the rustling of waters coming down the stream in due season. Because when God does it, it will be as streams in the south. Can I give you one more and I'm going to be done. The third thing I'll do is this. The third thing about those streams in the south is they do not just come supernaturally. They do not just come seasonally. But number three, they come what I call sweepingly. I made that word up, but sweepingly. What does that mean? I've been down in the uh, Judean wilderness before when those streams would come. We go to the Holy Land. We always go in January, and January is the rainy season in Jerusalem. And when those waters come, I'm telling you, you can be standing somewhere, and when you see them crest the mountain peaks, you better get out of the way. This past year in January when we were there, they actually had three hikers that were killed because they were swept up in a flash flood. When it comes, it consumes everything in the path. Somebody right now is wrestling. Is the thing God talking to me right now, is that God or is that me? Here's how you'll know. You'll know it's God when you try to let go of it and it won't let go of you. It consumes you. It sweeps over everything you are. You wake up in the morning. It's the first thing you think about. You go to bed thinking about it. At lunch the next day, it's all that's on your mind. Because whenever God is trying to move, it moves as a stream in the south. Brothers and sisters, I wish I had a really good way to end this message. I don't. David, come help me. Josh, I want you to do something. Do you know the hymn, "'Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus'? I want you to start singing it in just a second. Now, I want you to stay with me for just one moment. There are people in this room right now, you've never been saved. This is the clarion call of heaven that you must be born again. But I want to talk to believers this morning. I want to talk to the people of God that are being right now pulled in a thousand directions. And that thing in your heart, you are so burdened over it. You know what that thing is. I don't. 
You know what that issue is. I don't. You know what that desire is. I don't. But right now the Holy Ghost has sent me all this way to tell you this is your opportunity. It is not your job to figure it out. It's your job to trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him. And He will direct your path. Don't try to figure it out this morning. Don't try to figure out how it's going to happen. Don't try to figure out how you're going to make it happen. Somebody today just needs to say, Lord, turn it again. I'll do it, God. I'll obey you. Be kind and gracious, and I'll do it, Lord. Once you take the step, God unfolds the path.